you're listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. This podcast exists to encourage, empower, and equip you to share your story and with it, the gospel. Today's episode is a little bit different from our normal guest episodes. We don't actually have a guest with us this week, but instead, Kip and I discuss the story of Moses and what it could look like to have him share it. I'll let Kip tell the story. A horrible cry tore through the air. An Egyptian soldier marched away toward the river, a small bundle tucked under his arm. A woman kneeled in the dusty streets, crying out to the man who had just stolen her baby. Jehoabed felt the blood drain from her face as she watched the scene unfold. She held the small basket closer to her. Carefully, trying not to draw attention to herself, she made her way to the Nile. The sunlight hit the water in sparks of dazzling light. The mother waded into the water, the current tugging the robes around her ankles. She pulled off the lid of the basket and stared into her son's face. He let out a small yawn, but his eyes did not open. She put the lid back in place and gently released the basket into the river. The current pulled it away. For a moment, Jehoabed thought she heard the gasp of a little girl from the nearby reeds, but she dismissed it as the lapping of the water. The pharaoh's daughter stood in the river, her servants nearby waiting to attend to her needs. She watched the gentle current... I'm going to redo that because I stumbled over the word gentle for some reason. (coughs) Gentle. Gentle. The pharaoh's daughter stood in the river, her servants nearby waiting to attend to her needs. She watched the gentle current tugging at the tall reeds against the shore. The spines of a crocodile in the distance caught her eye, but it was too far away to be concerned with. Floating along the river, coming to her, was a small object. She rubbed her eyes, thinking it was her mind playing tricks on her, but no, it really was a basket. She cut through the water, intercepting the path of the object. She pulled the basket to her and lifted off the lid. She gasped. The pharaoh's daughter motioned to her servants and asked that one of the Hebrew women be brought to her. The servant looked perplexed until she saw the child laying nestled in the basket. Then she understood. The princess gently lifted the small baby, bundled in clothes, from the basket. Your name will be Moses. As Moses grew up, he quickly recognized the differences between himself and the others in the Pharaoh's household. He knew he wasn't one of them. He knew he didn't belong. Still, his mother, the princess, loved him as if he were her own son, and the other members of the house accepted him with time. His heart was constantly torn, however. He knew who his real people were. Every time he glimpsed his reflection, he knew. The sight of his kinsmen being abused and beaten every day, subjugated to live a life of poverty, ate away at him. However, his clothes, manners, and station made it evident who he belonged to. He was an Egyptian, just as much as he was an Israelite. One day, Moses went to visit his own people. The Hebrews were working hard, their backs bent, faces dripping with sweat as they toiled under the unrelenting sun. As Moses watched, one man paused in his work, his chest heaving from the exertion. Suddenly, the Egyptian soldier on guard grabbed the man by the arm and shoved him to the ground. 
the soldier began beating the man relentlessly. Something deep inside Moses snapped. Red filled his vision. Blood pounded in his ears. He clenched and unclenched his fists. He whipped his head around and saw that no one else was nearby. He picked up a rock from the ground. Looking up from where he knelt on the ground, Moses saw that the Hebrew man had fled. Slowly, he pulled himself to his feet. He held his hands in front of his face. They were caked in blood and dirt. He rolled the body of the Egyptian soldier into the hastily made grave and began to cover it up. The next day, Moses came across two Israelites fighting in the street. He pulled them in apart and questioned why they would hurt each other if they were both Hebrew. Shouldn't they be on the same side? One of the men began shouting back at Moses, calling him a murderer. A dark void opened inside of Moses, pulling everything inside. His vision tunneled, his throat tightened. They knew. He went back to the Pharaoh's palace and quickly gathered some supplies. The footsteps of the guards echoed down the hallways. They were coming for him. He'd killed one of the Pharaoh's men. He was a Hebrew, and he had killed one of their people. They were coming for him. Moses slipped out of the palace beneath the shadows, praying that the sand would swallow up any sounds his movements made. He ran. A sheep bleated, and Moses glanced up. His mind had wandered. He was remembering those evil days. A traveler had brought news recently that the old pharaoh had passed away and that the new king of Egypt was a far worse ruler. The news had been troubling Moses. Memories of his time living in the old pharaoh's palace began to rise in his mind. Moses eyed the sheep that had bleated but couldn't see any trouble nearby. He rubbed a thumb over the shepherd's staff in his hands, feeling the smoothness of the wood from many years of use. The feeling of the wood reminded him of something, the smooth surface of a stone. His hand gripped around a stone, a stone covered in blood. The sheep bleated again. Moses stood up. He still didn't see anything around them, no danger. He scanned the horizon and the nearby mountains. No wolves or lions. A scraggly bush here, a boulder there, a fire raging on the side of the mountain over there, a puddle over... Wait, what? Moses jerked his head up to look at some nearby cliffs. A fire raged in the crags. Moses could make out the outline of a bush. Bright golden flames licked at the leaves and danced across the trunk. But the leaf was... Ah, man, come on. That's too poetic for me. Moses jerked his head up and looked to some nearby cliffs. A fire raged in the crags. Moses could make out the outline of a bush. Bright golden flames licked at the leaves and danced across the trunk. But the, the tree was intact, whole. It wasn't charred or burned. No smoke rose into the air. Perplexed, Moses made his way to the bush. He scrambled up the cliff, his fingers and toes clinging to holds as he made his way to the strange sight. Moses stood several yards away from the glowing tree. He shielded his eyes against the bright light that emanated from the bush. Then there was a voice. It filled the air around Moses, and it filled Moses himself speaking into his very being. Moses, Moses, it said. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses fell to his knees and hid his face in his hands. He was terrified. 
the Lord told Moses that he had seen the afflictions of the Israelites. He had heard their cries and prayers, and he did not want them to suffer. Now, he wanted to set them free. He wanted to lead them to a place he had prepared for them, and he was sending Moses as his messenger. Moses was petrified. He was known in Egypt, in the house of Pharaoh. They knew he was a murderer. Moses knew that he was a murderer. What could this God possibly want to do with him? He didn't deserve to be used for anything. Moses asked, Who am I that I should go? God assured Moses that he would be going with him. Moses felt a growing concern in his heart. His people had never welcomed him. He was an outsider, even among those he looked like. Moses asked, And who will I tell the Israelites has sent me? Then God said, Tell them Yahweh has sent you. But still, Moses doubted. He was no one. He was a murderer and an outcast from two societies. He continued to question God. God encouraged him, telling him that he would go with Moses, that he would provide a way, that he would work through Moses to save his people. Finally, Moses asked, Please, can't you, can't you send someone else? God was angry at this, but he relented and commanded Moses to take his brother Aaron with him. The pharaoh glared down from his throne. The golden snake protruding from his headdress reached to the sky, appearing as though it might slither down his shoulders and attack the two men standing before him. Moses and Aaron stood quietly, waiting for a reply. Finally, pharaoh spoke. I don't know this god you speak of, and I will not let Israel go. The tiny spark of hope that had been growing inside of Moses flickered, and died. He knew this was foolish. No one could demand something of a pharaoh, especially not someone like him. But then something spoke to Moses' heart. The spark quickly became a raging fire in his chest, and he spoke, You've been forewarned, pharaoh. Now you will see the wrath of God. Later, Moses stood in the streets, a crowd of Israelites gathering around him. He explained all that was going on, to them, how the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was going to set them free. The people listened, but their faces showed no signs of relief, no joy or triumph, no hope. The coming days would change that. The streets were covered in dead things. Frogs, locusts, and cattle blocked the paths where people walked. Flies and the smell of blood from the Nile filled the air. Moses made his way back to the palace. He made a grim note of the houses with blood painted on the doorways. The pharaoh was hunched over in his throne, his face buried in his hands. When he met Moses' eyes, Moses could tell he had been weeping. His skin sagged and dark circles hung from beneath his eyes. Before Moses opened his mouth, the king of Egypt nodded his head and said, Go, leave this place. Moses could smell the salty air already. He watched as the crowd of people marched along the mountain path and toward the sea. The children ran, laughing and playing games. He watched as a husband threw his wife's pack onto his own back while flexing his muscles. Old men patted each other on the back, a light shining behind their eyes as they told stories. 
They were so close. Off in the distance, Moses saw a cloud of dust rising against the horizon. He watched, watched it for a minute, trying to discern what was happening. Then he caught a glimpse of a horse, and riding on top of it was an Egyptian soldier. His stomach dropped. Ushered faster by Moses and Aaron, the Israelites quickly closed the gap between themselves and the sea, and they stood staring at the waves lapping against the shores. The water stretched for miles in front of them. God's voice whispered to Moses. He looked at the staff in his hand, rubbing his thumb over the worn groove in the wood. He threw his arm up into the air. There was a roar like thunder and the sea shuddered. A wind whipped around Moses and over the waves. The sound of rushing wind filled the entire night, and Moses watched as the moonlit sea was pushed away. As the sun rose over the horizon, the Israelites stared wide-eyed and open-mouthed at the dry path that lay before them. Miles behind them, the cloud of dust from the Egyptian horses grew closer. They moved. Moses marched along with his people across the seabed, shells and seaweed crinkling beneath their feet. They pressed on through the strange new terrain, following the path that had been carved by God overnight. Finally, the Israelites reached the other side of the sea, the seabed giving way to a beach, and they saw the wilderness beckoning them further out. Moses stood at the shoreline, his staff gripped tightly, Aaron and his sister at his side. They'd made it. As they watched, the Egyptian army appeared on the path, their horses running harder. Moses could just make out the chariot of the pharaoh. Suddenly, the chariot jerked to a halt. There was a moment of confusion as all the horses and chariots came to an abrupt stop in the middle of the sea, and the Lord spoke to Moses again. The man raised his staff high into the air, and the waves came crashing in. The sea surged with a roar and covered the army of Egypt. It was done. That night, the Israelites danced and laughed. Their voices filled the night air as Moses led them in a song of praise and triumph, rejoicing in what their God had accomplished. So clearly, I've been reading the message a little too much lately, as is evidenced by this dramatic reading of Moses. Um, before we like really dig in, I do just want to point out like this is I'm I'm trying to stay like I'm very very close to scripture here. Um, the events and things said I didn't change at all. I think the only thing I really added were maybe just some flourishes like. 
describing what the streets of Egypt probably looked like after the plagues, you know, little the things staff like in his that. Hand. The staff in his hand. Those those little details that nuances. Yeah, that aren't super important. The imagery, if you will. Um, but these are the events that happened, and I will say, like as I was writing this out, there there are some things that happen with with the story of the Exodus that I think we we over dramatize and are not accurate to scripture. So, for instance. Um, in my mind, typically when I think of the parting of the Red Sea, it's this huge dramatic moment where the waves are split within a couple of seconds and they walk across immediately. But that's not what happened. Um, in, in, the, in the scriptures, they actually say that it happened overnight, that there were these winds that pushed them back. Um, thank you, Hollywood, for yeah. doing that. But that being said, you know, this this was just a dramatic retelling. This is just something I wrote. So don't take anything that I said as scripture that is not in scripture. Um, definitely go back and read Exodus and the story of Moses if you want to double check anything. Please do. It's it's a good read. And if you have an audio Bible, it's a good listen too. It is a very anecdotal. Anecdotal, yeah. Yeah, book. So it's easy to follow, or it was for me at least. And there's a lot of, a lot of good information that hopefully we'll dig into here now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one one question I think we should ask is, what happened next? Uh, a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. Yes. So yeah. I almost I almost included. Um, Right, like immediately after, like they they sing this song when they're on the shore and see the Egyptians crushed under the sea, and like immediately afterwards, someone turns to Moses and goes, "I'm thirsty. <laughs> I'm hungry." They just immediately start complaining. What are we doing here? Where now? What Where are we next? going? Yeah, I'm tired of walking. I I don't want to eat manna anymore. So forth and so on. They just complain the whole time. Um. But I think the immediate thing that happens is they they head out into the wilderness. Yeah, and they're there for what will be 40 years. Yes. I'm not even 40 yet, Kip. <laughs> uh, it's, have you looked at the uh, the math and stuff on their journey? I've not. It's it's so dumb. If you look at if you just literally look at a map from like. Egypt, uh, basically to Jerusalem, it's like a stupidly short trip. Like, it should not have taken them 40 years to walk there. Um, I can't remember the math exactly, but I think you can walk there in, in well under a, a month. That's with modern technology? Yeah, well, this That's, is just walking. Like, yeah, it, it shouldn't shouldn't equate to 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, they literally just went in circles the whole time. But you have to think back then, cartography was well, it wasn't cartography. Like they were, they were following the pillar of cloud and uh, fire. So God was yeah. literally leading them in circles because they were so rebellious. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Like little progress, two steps forward. Nope, seven steps backwards. Wouldn't go around this mountain a couple of times. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so in a big part of their rebellion um, was the golden calf. Do you remember that? Yeah, the, the false idols and the worshiping things they made themselves 
it just blows my mind is like God just delivers them from slavery, from oppression. And it's like they have the memory of a goldfish or something <laughs> insane because it's, oh, you know, they're worshiping. Yeah. And then, well, who did this? I don't know, but we should make somebody up that did this and credit them with, with all the glory. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny to like the whole their their whole situation. It's it's sad, but it's sometimes really funny. It's relatable, um, unfortunately. Very very relatable. I just like how uh, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project that moment at Mount Sinai, and you you can you can really see this uh, reflected in in the Bible too. But they could they could see like God on the mountain. Like, they could see his glory. It was just like this huge, uh, Tim Mackey describes it basically as like this cosmic thunderstorm almost. It's just this. The Shekinah glory. Uh, like yeah, the, it's the Shekinah glory. presence yeah. of God is within sight. material, yeah. like, it's manifested in person in in a visual manner. And you're still like, let's, let's find some gold. Let's, let's make a calf. Yeah. You can literally see him right there. Uh, and it's like, ah, I'm going to make an idol of a cow. A cow god. How but how does that, that not show to, you know, the the bigger picture to come in, you know, the upcoming Messiah, the world seeing God in flesh, mm-hmm. undeniably performing miracles in all these teachings, the whole developing the new covenant, and still it was, no, give us Barabbas. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, so that's that's part of what, a big part of what happens next. And of course, right there, you get the Ten Commandments and, and the law is established. Um, let's see. They do a little bit more wondering, and then Moses gets really angry. At one point, um, can you describe that? Are you talking about with hitting the rock? Yeah, hitting the rock. <laughs> so, God tells Moses, certain days, hit the rock, talk to the rock. This is how water is provided to the Israelites during this time in the wilderness. And for whatever reason, when I read it, I always imagine desert. That may not be the case, but that's just kind of where my head goes. And then I stop and think, how many rocks do you see in the desert? Probably not. Um, but he, he gets frustrated about this complaining and, and out of anger hits this rock and it completely disobeys God in doing so. Mm-hmm. And so it's this moment of anger management or lack of with Moses um, that I think is super relatable to a lot of us in the fact of when things aren't going the way we think they should, we often struggle with the lack of control and lash out. Yeah. yeah. And I definitely want to talk more about his anger here in a little bit. Um, but because he got angry, uh, something, honestly, something kind of tragic happens with Moses. Um, and, and that's that, you know, they get to the promised land. It's right, like, it's right there. Yep. It's right there. It's like, all they have to do is cross a river. And God tells Moses, you're not going. Um, you you can't, you can't enter the promised land. And so Moses has to 
separate himself from the Israelites. They cross over the Jordan and go enter into the promised land and and Moses goes and, and dies in the wilderness. Alone. Alone. Or so I or, assume. Uh, I kind of want to talk about that, um, but we'll, we'll circle back around to it. Put a pin um, it. Definitely put a pin in it. So let's let's ask this question then, because uh, that is that, that is all that happens next with Moses. Of course, a lot more happens with Israel. Um, why why do we want to stop and examine a biblical figure as a testimony, like me and you? Because it's a real person with a real story, and it's our opinion here at Mountain and Valley that um, all stories matter mm-hmm. in the grand story that is creation and the existence of earth. Yeah. So it has a place. Yeah. Um, and piggybacking off of that, you know, I, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find some struggle, some, some issue in your life that is not represented in the scriptures. There, there are testimonies all throughout the Bible that, you can look to if you're dealing with something and, and recognize yourself in it. Um, I want to be careful there. I'm not talking about you know it being about you, but you can look to, I can look to Moses and definitely see some things that I have struggled with. Oh, likewise. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's a huge part of why we, we, why God worked through so many people to um, orchestrate his story, because let's be honest, the Bible's not, our story it's god's story and i think a large part of it was to show us how how weak we are and how how much we need him and he did that through imperfect uh, biblical figures hmm. um, real life people that we can now look to and say oh, i can relate to moses about getting angry for sure yep been there done that i don't know that i've ever hit a rock but you can get it i mean i mean i'm not I'd punch a rock if I was mad enough. Um, <laughs> rock looks at me funny, and I'll tell it what's what. So here, here's a question. Um, do you believe he was real? Moses, that is. kind of already answered that. You did already answer this. So yes. Y- yes. There you go. Just yes. I agree. Just, uh, just flat out. We're just going to say yes here because... Uh, and the reason I want to bring that up is Moses is one of the most contested uh, figures in the Bible um, as to whether or not he was real. Um, of course, that's definitely in more uh, liberal scholarship. Um, that blows my mind. That literally know, blew my mind I when I heard that. Yep. But there are even seminary professors who will tell you, well, Moses wasn't real. He was just kind of like a composite character based off of a bunch of real people. Yeah. Really? Yep. Not not my seminary. I'll tell you that right now. Southeastern's Southeastern's got it right. Um, but there's 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 a lot of debate over whether or not Moses is real. But there's a lot of evidence that he is real. I'm just I'm not gonna we're not gonna spend a lot of time mainly because I've not done enough research right now to do that. But one thing I will say is I was watching a TikTok the other night. Oh no. Because <laughs> I'm on TikTok and it's fun. I'm that millennial. Um, but one guy got on and he was just sharing, and this guy is not a Christian. He was just sharing, um, random historical, um, 
items, I guess you could say, that exist in the world. And one of the ones he shared was a stone in the middle of the desert, uh, somewhere between Egypt and Israel, that is cracked in two. And it, <laughs> they've done testing on it. It's existed since biblical times. And just looking at that rock, it's like, I know what happened to that rock. <laughs> yep. Yep. A dude named Moses got angry and smacked it with his staff. Um, so there's that. That one's funny, but there's there's tons of uh, archaeological proof and historical texts out there, manuscripts that prove, you know, he, he was there. He was real. Well, it's interesting. Guy. Like, there's even people attempting to disprove it that are unsuccessful in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. If you just archaeology is Christianity's best friend. Absolutely. I, and so is science for sure. But archaeology yeah, as far as archaeological stuff is concerned, they're constantly having to backpedal because they'll say something doesn't exist like the walls of Jericho for example. For a long time they said there's there, there was no such thing. There, that didn't exist. The and then, scrolls. then they found them and then yeah, they're saying, "Well, you guys just made up the these texts of the Bible. They're not real." And they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it, it just happens all the time. There's so much historical data out there that proves this stuff's real. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this, Micah. When you refer to people in the Old Testament, have you ever called them characters? Probably. Okay. Just because... I- I, th- I think of the Old Testament more as an antidote rather than history. That's just, again, that's Hollywood having done mm-hmm. a lot of that. You have the Old Testament movies like the Ten Commandments. You even have the story of Moses animated in the Prince of Egypt and Joseph and the Coat of Many Colors. Mm-hmm. And you, you have this... fictionalized painting of it all and so so, yes i have do i think that's accurate and appropriate no okay no that's good um and i just wanted to share that with our listeners because it's something i've struggled with in the past because you know i I grew i like come from a a literature background so anytime i read anything i refer to figures as characters um that's just the terminology I'm most most familiar with, but I wouldn't open up a a U.S. history textbook and read about George Washington and then walk away calling him a character, like he wasn't real. I might. You might. I might. Okay. Not in the sense that he wasn't real, but he was a character in that book. That's fair. And so I think for me, it's less characters, less about fiction versus nonfiction in. Otherwise, a figure is probably the better term. Yes. In a story. Whether that story is fiction or nonfiction is irrelevant to me using the word character. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I speak English properly either. Yeah. And that's, it's just one of those things that I think is, has cropped into, um, like church circles, the way that, the the way that we talk about things, Christianese, if, if you will. Um, we just, we, we tend to refer to figures of the Bible as characters. And I think that has a tendency to, um, kind of color the way people view the Bible 
and it lends itself to this false narrative of the Bible being a storybook, uh, being fiction, rather than it being like real history. Yeah. And that's just, I don't know, it's just something I wanted to bring up in this discussion since we're talking about Moses and people debate if he was real. So we kind of already touched on it a little bit, but, you know, the Israelites complained constantly, nonstop complaining. And eventually they reach a point where uh, Moses just snaps at them. Um, just a little bit of build up to that. There was one moment where they're in the desert and they're they're like dying of thirst. And God tells Moses, okay, here's what I want you to do. Take your staff, uh, whack it against this big boulder over here, and I'm going to make water gush out of that boulder. And so Moses obeys God, smacks the boulder, and water gushes out. And yay, the Israelites are not thirsty anymore. They're not complaining for maybe 30 minutes. Um, 30 minutes later, they're thirsty again, and Moses is just fed up with it. They've been complaining for years and years and years. So he takes his staff and smacks a rock out of anger, and um, I have to check the text. I think he breaks the rock. I think so. But also something that you you kind of skipped over is um, didn't God also instruct him at certain points to speak rather than smack the rock? Ooh, you know, we might need to check the text on that. My computer. Riveting content. Are you not riveted? Oh heck yeah! Okay, you forgot about that. Yeah, that's I, that's why I was saying that earlier. Like, all right, way to go, Micah. So not, numbers twenty. Yeah, not only did Moses get mad, but he completely disobeyed. Yeah, yeah. Because so God told him, speak to the rock before their eyes, and then hit it with your staff, and then water will come out of it. So. Yeah, you're right, man. I've, I've forgotten about that. So, so many details in the Bible. How do um, I remember something <laughs> biblical that you forget? It's not that hard. Um, so, any, anyway, you know, Moses is just angry still. And I kind of get it looking at his life. You know, he probably um, grew up rejected by his own people. And now he's sitting here having to deal with these people complaining all the time. Um, and so he just got angry. And he, he hit that rock. Um, I don't know. I, this is the, the part of Moses' story that I relate to the most. Um, because anger is one of those things that I deal with. Um, you know, something I've dealt with my entire life. And I could sit here and say that it's because of my, my background and all the stuff I've gone through. And while that's true, it's not an excuse. Right. You can't excuse anger. Um, sometimes anger is justified. 
but what's most important is our actions out of that. So are we being like Moses and, and disobeying God in his word uh, in our anger, or are we trying to be peaceable and um, Christ-like and, and not lashing out in anger? Well, in stark contrast, you see an example of righteous anger when Jesus goes into the temple and starts flipping tables because there's gambling and all sorts of um, sin happening inside the temple. And I think it all goes back to motives of, in that moment, Jesus is, I'm assuming, again, I'm not God, I wasn't there. All we have is the text that Jesus is so upset because God the Father, his Father is being disrespected and disobeyed in the temple, in the holy place. Whereas Moses is reflecting, whereas Moses is reacting out of a place of selfishness because he's frustrated with the complaining. Should they be complaining? No. Is it okay to be frustrated about that? Yes, but I think it has to go back to the motives of the heart. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I'll just point this out because I learned it re- really recently. So when Jesus flipped tables in the temple, um, do you know what part of the temple they were in? The inner courts? Nope. They were in the court of the Gentiles. Interesting. Yeah. So Jesus. So where non Jews could actually go. Yep. Because that's that is I think I I didn't know this until like literally very recently because we don't talk about it a lot. Right. Like there's a section of the temple where Gentiles, non-Jewish people, unbelievers are allowed can can yeah. go and observe their worship and almost commune with God a little bit and decide if they want to join Israel and join God's people. That was always a big part of God's plan and intentions. And so when Jesus walks in, and again he's he's there to redeem everybody bring everybody into the fold right and he sees them using the court of the gentiles to sell stuff he ticked um just a fun fun little fact so here's a question did god abandon moses at the end what do you think no uh there are consequences for our actions there are consequences for sin we know that and for Moses to disobey when it came to hitting the rock, there's a consequence for that. Does that mean God abandoned him? No. But that had to be atoned in some way. And so the way I understand it, that was a, a sacrifice. Going to the promised land was a sacrifice to to God to atone for that decision earlier. Not that he had the decision to make, but that was the consequence for that. Because I I don't think Moses would have personally chosen to miss out on that if given the chance. Maybe he would. Don't think I would have, though. Yeah, I don't don't think he would have... Um, skipped out on it for sure. I, th- I think he would have wanted to go with his people into the promised land. Um, it's, a, it's definitely a consequence of his sin, though. Definitely the consequence. And that's a big thing. Like, he, he just didn't get to see the promised land. It's like, it's right there. 
but you can't go in. You can wave at it, but you can't go into it. Um, so going back kind of to this question that I, I, I've asked is, you know, did, did God abandon him in the end? Um, because, you know, we, we know from the rest of the text that God went with Israel into the promised land and that Moses went out into the wilderness to die. So like, what, what happened to Moses? What happened to him? And I think it's really cool in Deuteronomy 34, we actually get to hear what happened to him. This is very fascinating. Um, Deuteronomy 34, 5 through 6, it says, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Who buried Moses? Capital H E? Yes. God buried Moses. So I think that's just oh man, it's it's just one of my favorite things in the Old Testament that, you know, we get this this amazing little moment where God literally loved his servant Moses so much and you know he he knew that Moses had to pay the consequences for his sins and his actions and his anger, but he still came and he was with him there at the very last moments. Mm. Like, I bet you anything, and we don't know this because it's not in the text. I'm just going to clarify that. But I would think that um, God probably walked with him those last few days. Like, he probably came down and spent some time with Moses and then was there holding his hand when he went. Um, and then God buried him. Like, God was there personally and just, you know, put him in his tomb. Yeah, It's just so cool. It's so cool. You know, it's not a stretch to, to think or imagine just because, you know, the text does clarify that he was shown the presence of God on multiple occasions between the burning bush and on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. Yeah. Just shows how personal God is. Yeah. And he cares about the small things. Yeah. Well, I mean, he cares about his people. Somebody's passing is not really the small things, yeah. but... <laughs> He's in the details. Exactly. Yep. So where do we see Jesus in the life of Moses? The first thing that comes to mind is, you know, the sacrifice of not going into the promised land. However, the Israelites were able to. It's, again, not a sacrifice by choice, but I... I look at it as he was the sacrifice so that they could he missed out so that they could partake hmm. at the table I've, n- I've honestly never looked at it that way that's a really cool thought so the another way that comes to mind is Moses having a staff and being a shepherd leading the Israelites to the promised land but not joining them is similar to Jesus leading the disciples through his ministry mm. and then having to lead them while they continued. Okay. Yeah. And there's something else with this staff to the, uh, the, the golden serpent scene. It's probably not the, I don't know. That's not the best way to phrase it, but there's the, the miracle with the magicians. Um, uh, no, no, not that it's, uh, it's when they're, when they're wandering through the desert in numbers and, um, a bunch of like venomous vipers come out and attack them, and 
Um, they're all dying from, from the venom, and uh, God tells Moses to basically make this staff out of gold uh, or bronze. I can't, I'm not sure. Um, either way, one a of those one of those precious metal. metals. Uh, and on top of it is a, a serpent, uh, I think with wings. I don't I don't know. Probably not. It might be. It might be. That's where we get the the symbol for medicine. You know, it's yeah. the snake with wings. I could be wrong about I that. I don't think there's a wings on that. I could be wrong. I might be wrong. Um, but what what God commands them ultimately to do is to look up at the top of this staff if they've been bitten by these snakes and they will be healed um and of course you know we have all been affected by a snake and we are all suffering from something and we have to look up to something to be saved from it and of course that 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 snake is is you know satan um the thing that's affecting us is is our sin and the thing we need to look up to is the cross. So, there's that. Um, I, th- I think of two really, really key things um, in Moses' life that point to Jesus. Um, I'll start with the smaller one, where he gets the, the Ten Commandments, the law code from Mount Sinai. Um, you know, Moses is receiving the law and delivering it to the people. Um, Jesus, one, fulfills the law, but two, he gives us you new know, the new covenant yeah. and the, the greatest law, which is to love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor like yourself, which, by the way, is something that Moses says in Deuteronomy 6. Um, he says the exact same things. And, you know, so anyway, that, that parallel there, you know, Moses is delivering the law, and Jesus is fulfilling the law, but also reminding us of what the law is supposed to be uh, truly, and how we're supposed to live our lives. Um, But the biggest thing is the parting of the Red Sea and the whole exodus itself. Um, We we have all been put into into bondage, honestly, into slavery, uh, to sin and death. Um, and Jesus has come to set us free from that and to lead us out of that sin and death, uh, just like Moses led the Israelites out of their imprisonment to the Egyptians. Um, it's just really cool. Uh, there's this thing called types or typography, um, where Old Testament figures like Moses uh, reflect things that happen in Jesus's life. They're almost foreshadowing what Jesus's life is going to be like. And Moses is one of the strongest ones. They're just, these are just a few examples, but there are tons of things all throughout that happen in Moses's life that you're like, that, that, that sounds a lot more like Jesus, honestly. So here's a question. Uh, what can we learn about sharing our testimonies from Moses? Well, part of Moses' story that wasn't necessarily shared by your retelling was how many times God told him to go and confront Pharaoh, even though he knew Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. God told him, I've hardened his heart. He's not going to hear you out. Mm. 
but you still have to go and, and speak the truth that I'm telling you over and over again and how that's an example to us as Christians today of just because it's difficult to share the truth of your story and what God's calling you to speak doesn't mean you shouldn't. If Moses can do it in a life or death situation, surely we can over coffee in an uncomfortable setting maybe. In some places, yeah, it's, it's you know life or death for some believers currently. But for a majority of our listeners, you're not in a, hopefully you're not in a place where it's death or imprisonment to share your faith. Yep. Um, I, I agree. Just there's this vulnerability that Moses shows in sharing things from his life. Um, you know, he's, he's the one telling this story. Um, he's the one relaying this information, his whole life story from Exodus to Deuteronomy to the Israelites. And throughout the whole thing, we see him being real and open and honest. Um, you know, we yes, we, we talked about anger. But then there's also these moments where, you know, when he's in front of the burning bush, I, I shortened it here, but <laughs> it's long, where he's just constantly going back and forth with God. He's like, please, God, I don't want to do this. Do you have to send me? I'm not equipped. I'm not good enough. Yeah. I, I'm, it's like, I can't talk good. <laughs> I words bad. Words bad. <laughs> I know no do words. Um, and he, he's just really vulnerable about all these things and all these times where he messed up. And it's him telling this story. Yep. He's being vulnerable. And I think that's something that we need to be open to with sharing our own testimonies is, is being vulnerable. Um, because it's through our weakness, like Paul says, that God is glorified. You know, He works through the weak. Um, all right, what do we learn about God from Moses' life? Similar to the earlier question, but just a little bit different. So he meets us where we're at. Yeah. I mean, he, he physically met with Moses mm. in person. Yeah. And while that may not happen with us today... He meets us where we need him to, and he's with us through easy times, frustrating times, difficult times. The The promises that God gave Moses are applicable to us. Yeah. I would second that. Definitely see the uh, sovereignty of God as well. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot this season come up a few times it's kind of a big deal yeah just a little bit um but we i mean we definitely see um god's god's plan and action here hmm. yeah just just a high a hypothetical uh situation here what would have happened to god's like whole plan of salvation if the israelites had remained in egypt he would have found somebody else he would have, he would have found somebody else yeah yeah, yeah. If, it, if not moses someone else but his plan ultimately had to be to get people out. Yeah. You know, so we see him being redemptive, being redemptive. But then, you know, ultimately my, my point there is if they had not gotten out of Egypt, then ultimately down the line, it's possible that Jesus wouldn't have been born or born in the right place or time or area. I don't know. Right. Don't it, know. it all points back to the prophecies exactly. that he fulfilled. 
in how there's a little bit of a tangent here. I, I personally believe God's will and God's plan are two different things. Um, God's plan will not be foiled, period. It's going to happen. Um, but God's will is for his creation to love him. It doesn't always happen. And so we see God's plan in execution through Exodus of obedience mm-hmm. and some disobedience. Absolutely. But Moses ultimately said, okay, I, I'll do this. I need you with me, but I'll do this. I don't know where I was going with that. No, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm tracking with you because my thinking is, is similar. I might've phrased it wrong when I started talking, but God's plan is not derailed by anything that we do or say. Like God's plan, he's so sovereign that he's going to do what he has orchestrated. Um, and that we see that so clearly in Moses' life. Like, well, yeah, Israel got stuck in Egypt. God came and got them out. And because ultimately the, the, the story doesn't end there. It wasn't, oh, I'm just going to get people out of Israel. Or, sorry, I'm not going to get people out of Egypt. And that's, that's it. That's all I need to do. I just need to get them into the promised land. The ultimate plan was getting them out, but then also doing all these other things so that Jesus could come and get everyone out and into the promised land, um, which is God's kingdom. Thank you so much for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you would like to support the show, You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing an episode with a friend. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV podcast on any platform. This podcast was created and produced by Kip Wilkinson and Michael Horvath. This episode was mastered and scored by J.A. Parkey. To learn more about this project, you can visit mvpodcast.org. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story. Oh, beard or mustache? On Moses? Yeah. Oof. I'm trying to think because what what would have... Because oh, they wouldn't have had the law back then. It would have been different. Okay, so I would say clean shaven at first. Oh, yeah, because he was in Egypt. Because he was in Egypt. And then I Talk bet about you, wilderness Moses. I know wilderness Moses. Oh, I bet he had a long beard. You don't think he kept the clean shaven look? I doubt it. I doubt it because I bet you the Israelites weren't clean shaven, and so he'd want to like fit in with his people more now that he's been reunited with them. So I bet he grew his beard out. The question is though, did he use beard bomb? <laughs> <laughs>